You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down, yeah. <laughs> Once again, I would like to thank Dream Out Loud for giving me this record from Lakashaw, DMV artist. I'm telling y'all right now, he is on the next wave. So before I begin this podcast, first, I would like to say thank you so, 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 so much for everybody's support. I mean, we've blazed through 35,000 downloads. We got a lot of stuff planned for you coming in the near future. Remember, save the date. November 11th through 13th, we'll be hosting the first Minority Trailblazer Summit. It's going to be a crazy event. Got some crazy keynote speakers lined up. And I'm just excited for it. So remember, the website, all the information will be dropping soon. Please be of note. And the last thing before we jump into the episode, you already know where I'm about to go. I need you, if you are on an iPhone right now, to do one thing. One, share the podcast with a couple friends that could benefit from it. Two, we are in the search for sponsors. I've opened up the floodgates now. So if you got a company, want to get your word out to a couple thousand people, uh, Millennial Demographic, hit me up, greg at greghill.com. I also will be dropping a couple links so we can get you on the show if you want to share a message. So that will be coming soon. But most importantly, leave a review. We got 84 reviews and only 35,000 downloads. That don't make no sense. <laughs> so please, please rate a review. And this is how you do it. If you're on an iPhone, right? You go to search button. You type in Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Then you go to review. And then you click leave a review. So it's kind of, it's not as easy as it seems, but please make sure you do it. I want to read a couple. Uh, Brittany Patrick. This podcast said the refreshing light on wonderful orgs and business minorities are that are leading our nation. I especially love how transparent and uplifting each guest has been. Many blessings to you, G Hill. The next by Coco3123. Typically, I don't write reviews, but I am absolutely inspired by this podcast, and I can and have listened for hours. Also, Global Donica Season 1 has been so inspirational, and I have made this podcast a part of my business regiment. Please keep up the good work. Also, Quan1123, as a high schooler, these stories that are shared have been so inspirational. Jermaine Cole, I love listening to this podcast on my way to work in the morning. Great inspiration to start the day. Also, Go Ali J, I think I said that wrong. Please forgive me. I love this podcast because it's straightforward and real. Using his own stories and stories from others, Greg takes you through a simple truth that can apply to anybody. Do yourself a favor and listen. Woo, that's amazing. Phenomenal. Thank y'all for the support. So make sure, like I said, leave a rating and review. I don't care if you leave three stars, four stars. I'll prefer five stars. But please, let's get us to 100. 
by episode 28, all right? We got 84. That means we need 16 people. So if you haven't already done it, please do. Oh, man. Oh, man. I would be remiss if I did not say this one thing. If you are located in Atlanta, Georgia, or Washington, D.C., please pay close attention to this. If you're feeling this podcast, you're feeling the guest, what she's spitting, she is having a Your Wealthy Year tour, small group setting for entrepreneurs, for business owners, for people that just want to improve their personal finances, June 10th in Atlanta, Georgia, June 17th in Washington, D.C., and a date to be announced in New York City. And you can find all the information at yourwealthyyear.com. That is yourwealthyyear.com. And the information will be in the show notes. So if you're in those cities, I advise you to make an investment and attend those events because it will change your financial future. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the show because this show is about to be a banger. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower and inspire our current and future generational leaders. And before I begin, I just want to quantify because I got a I got a couple emails from a couple of my readers, and they like, Greg, you say you keep saying young, like I'm I'm 48. I love your podcast. I'm sending to all my friends, like please, please, please. I'm talking about young in the mind, young in the spirit, young in the body. So please, a minority trailblazer nation, don't be offended by the word young. <laughs> so, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a young professional. Or I said that we're young again. If you're an older professional, whatever age or group you're in, and if you're looking to to save and earn more money, this is the episode of you. Yeah, I'm going to slow down. I know I'm talking real fast, but I'm just excited because we have an amazing, amazing young woman, black girl magic. I said young again, black girl magic episode today. And let me just read a little bit of the bio. And I always read the bios because I'm just amazed by the the, the guests that agree to be on the show and, and what they've all accomplished. So let me do it real quick. She is a personal finance coach, speaker, finance expert, entrepreneur, and founder of finances demystified. She has a strong passion work for professionals, entrepreneurs, and people of all ages to bring their dreams to reality. She's worked in major brokerage firms such as UBS Financial Services and Edelman Financial Services, where she began her career. She has also received various accolades, such as Top 30 Under 30 in Washington, D.C., the D.C. Future Business Leader of American Business Person of the Year, the top financial advisor for millennials in the U.S. And she also serves on the board as the D.C. Young Entrepreneur. Minority Trailblazer Nation, I am excited to bring you Dominique Broadway to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, you know, I'm amazing. I'm amazing right now. Like, I'm excited because <laughs> I know you're about to add some incredible value to our listeners. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I can hear your excitement. <laughs> no, but I'm excited to be here. This is this is dope. I've been I've been following you for a while, so this this should be really great. No, nah, it is going to be great. And for all the listeners, if you're new to the show, we always start our episodes every show off with a quote because I'm a huge quote guy. So, Dominique, if you could, if you can just share us a quote that you live by, and then give us a story on how you apply it to your everyday life. Yeah. So my favorite quote and. I don't even know if I feel like I should make this like my quote Um, (laughs) because I feel like I'm the only one that says it. And then when I say it, people are like, wow, that's really great. But it's something that I, um, you know, I live by every single day. And it's simply don't fear failure, fear regret. And 
ever since, you know, I first started my, my business, I feel like that's the thing that, that keeps me going every single day when, you know, it can get really scary as an entrepreneur. And it's very easy to focus on the possibility of failing. And I do not fear failure at all. Mm-hmm. And one, I guess where I kind of got this from, I was reading an article and this was like, I was maybe 22 years old and it was about an older gentleman. And he was on his deathbed and he was like 90 years old. And they were saying, you know, what, what do you, you know, kind of, you know, kind of reflecting on his life. And he just said, he kept saying that he, he had so much regret. He wished he had done this. He wished he had done that. He wished he had spent more time with his family. He wished he had, um, not work so hard. He wished he had traveled more, all these things that he wished that he had done. Mm-hmm. And it just really sat with me. And I was just like, man, I don't want to wake up at that age and be like, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Being, you know, being full of regret is that scary to me. I, I fear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that even, you know, when I started my business, I, I wasn't scared of failing to me. Starting my business was basically like, okay, I'm going to start this. And worst case scenario is I'll lose my house. That's the worst case scenario. To me, that was not scary for some reason, because I think I've seen so many people lose things, but Mm. you usually get them back and usually get them back two times full. Right. So anyway, that's, that's my saying, don't fear failure, fear regret. And I, I even got it printed on some coffee mugs. Cause I'm like, I need to see this every day. I need to see this every day. Cause it's very easy to start getting scared of launching a project because it may fail, you know? And I just much rather say, at least I tried versus I wish I had tried. That's amazing right there. And that's a great segue into um, the first the first part of the show where we kind of share who you are, your background and your story. So if you could just speak to kind of where you're from, like behind the demystified, the finance guru, the millennial <laughs> expert in finance, like who is Dominique Broadway? Wow. I don't know. Um, <laughs> where should I start? I don't even know. Like, start like, from the start. Start from the bottom. <laughs> from the beginning. So I was born on a Tuesday. No, just like no. But I was. <laughs> I was. I'm actually from Washington D.C. So I'm, I'm, I'm a January baby. Um, I was born January 22nd, 1985. So I'm a true millennial. But yeah, I was. I was actually. I'm actually from Washington D.C. Born in Washington D.C. Raised in Maryland and PG County and well, mainly Montgomery County and then for a short stint PG County. Um, I went to uh, went to public school, private schools. Um, but I ended up going to Bowie State University where I got my bachelor's. Hold and, up, hold um, up real quick. Cause you, okay. you skipping because I read online <laughs> that at 13, you were a vice president of a, of, of yeah. Explain what you did oh, at 13. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh uh, my God. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I've actually, I guess, taken it, taken it back a little bit. I always forget about those years. Um, I actually had, I would say I had my first business when I was about, probably six or seven, well, seven, I would say six or seven years old, um, actually started making bracelets, um, for, for people and selling them because I just wanted to make my own money. And I got tired of my, my, uh, mom saying, you know, no, like, Oh, can I buy this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, clearly she's controlling her own money. So I need to get my own money. So that was probably <laughs> my very, very first business. Um, literally, um, not taking, but you know, you know, you go to camp and they have like gimp. You can like make like the box in the barrel. Yeah. So sometimes I would just take a little extra gimp home with me from camp, <laughs> <laughs> and I would make bo- make a uh, box and barrel bracelets. And my mom was like, "Oh, you're really good at this." So she would take me to the craft store and I would buy like beads and things of that nature, and I would sell them. And I, I always feel like that's where my entrepreneurial uh, spirit started because I would make these things, and we, when we would go to the store, and I'd be like. 
oh, mom, I need some money to buy something. She's like, well, where's all the money you made? I'm like, oh, I left it at home. And she's like, you always leave your money at home. Like, I'm like, yeah, because I'm, I'm, as my friends say, I'm pretty frugal and cheap. I don't leave so, my money. That is um, funny. So you make your money, like, okay, yeah, where your money at? I left it at home. <laughs> I, like, I left it at home. I'll pay you back when we get home and, like, never pay her back. Um, so it worked. Uh, but, yeah, going after that, um, I did. I, I forgot about that. I think I was maybe 13 or 14. The vice president. Um, yeah, I, one of my friends who I'm actually still really good friends with, his name is Michael Chambers. He started a company called Kids Interactive Data Systems. And basic, and he was one of those like genius kids. He was, he was like maybe 15 at the time. And uh, it was interesting. I, I was looking, I wanted to make some more money. And I remember like, fine, he put like an ad in like, I don't know, like the penny saver or something crazy back in the day. We didn't have Craigslist. And uh, I applied like just to come work with him. Like, I guess like as his assistant, it was like, you know, $8 an hour or something crazy. And, um, he ended up really liking me and making me vice president. And basically what we did was, um, it was two teens basically running a company and we trained like thousands of kids. So when I look back on it, um, how to use computers, what? um, just, yeah, basic computer software, like how to use word and, you know, paint and all these, I can't even remember all the softwares that were there back then, but that's what we did. So there were kids who would come who were 10, 12 years old, you know, sometimes younger, and they would come on Saturdays and we would train them how to use computers. And this was before um, they were teaching computers as like a regular class in, um, in school. And uh, yeah, so we did that for a few years. Maybe I think I was, I was there for about two to three years. And then and he went to college and I tried to continue to run it by myself, but it was kind of difficult um, because I was, you know, getting older as well. And I was, mm-hmm. I was in high school. So, yeah. And um, it was interesting. I always forget about that. But, yeah, we had like office space and everything. Wow, <laughs> like, wow. yeah, so, we were. Yeah. Like a legit business. <laughs> and real quick, real quick. Give us give us give us uh, the, the biggest thing you learned from that experience um, of being like, first of all, seven years old, you started and in 13. You're training thousands of kids on yeah. how to do computer and word. And you didn't have an engineering degree or you didn't have. Any no. So t- t- what's your biggest taking point from that experience right there? You know, I have to say, I mean, I never, now that you're, you're asking, I think, you know, it's, it's really just going after what you want and, and doing what you want to do. You don't need to be qualified, you know? And I think, I think what I learned is, is having confidence is key when you're being an entrepreneur, because most entrepreneurs, they have these ideas and they create something and then they, they find a technical partner or they find someone who has the skills that they don't have to do, to make the bigger, make the bigger goal and dream happen. But for me, I think I took out of that just the ability to do what you want to do without not necessarily always having what people would consider to be the requirements to complete that task, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I think that's key. And I think, you know, I meet entrepreneurs all the time. They're like, Oh, I want to start this, but I can't because I don't have this. I don't don't know how to do that. And I've never been a kind of person that um, let things that I didn't have or things that I didn't know how to do stop me from doing um, and I think that's that's probably something like, you know, you, you're bringing it up now. That's probably something that I learned at, at 13 or even seven. And I carry over even now, you know, at, at 31, mm, <laughs> recently turned 31. And I, I don't worry about what I don't know how to do because I can figure it out or if there's someone else who can help me figure it out. So. Man, first of all, I had a clap, clap, bravo, because you've been very adamant <laughs> about seeing your age in this show. Like, this, <laughs> like you said, you, you got your exact birthday. You said your age. Like, wow, you're on it. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I'm like, I'm just happy to be around. I mean, a lot of people ain't make it this long. So. <laughs> amen. Amen. So now take us to college. Like where you, where'd you go to college? So I went to college at, um, at Bowie state university. And I have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't super ecstatic about going to college. I'm, 
I mean, education is, is great, but I just always felt like you learn more out in the real world than you do in school. So when it came time to apply to colleges, and I did really good um, academically in high school, but when it came time to apply to college, I was like, eh, like, okay, I'm just doing it because this is what you're supposed to do. But I don't feel like I took it as seriously as I, as I should have. Um, I applied to a bunch of, you know, historically black colleges, like University of Maryland as well, non, non-historically black colleges. You know, I got accepted into a few, but I just wasn't excited. And I ended up just going to Bowie State University because it was local and because it was cheap. <laughs> and I didn't want any, I didn't want any student loans. I just did not want to enter the world with student loans. And of course I was that nerd that was also thinking about that type of stuff as well in high, in, in high school and college. Like I don't want to be graduating with a bunch of debt, you know? And uh, so I went to Bowie State University, got my bachelor's in banking and finance. Um, and I went on later on in life because everybody else was doing it. Honestly, got my master's. Um, not saying it was a waste of time, but it was probably a waste of time for me. So where'd you get your Only, master's at? Import. I got my master's at university of Maryland university college. So I did it completely online. Oh, and um, what? yeah. Oh, and, uh, financial management. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I stuck, I stuck with the finance stuff. I mean, it's, it's great. It, it did teach me a lot more higher level finance things, which, allow me to serve, um, you know, just to do higher level finance things, I actually serve as, as a CFO of a, a celebrity cigar company as well, um, that I'm, that I'm doing. So it does give me those skills, but I don't, um, I don't know. It was kind of a waste of time for me just because I'm an entrepreneur. No one ever asked me about my degrees. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's stuff I would have learned in the real world. So I don't, to me, it was, it was kind of a waste of time, but I did get my, my master's, my master's, um, in university, Maryland university college. So. I got you. So two questions on that. Mm-hmm. First being, um, as a, as a kid or even as a college, what led you down the path of finance? Because I mean, the entrepreneurs, a lot of times, I mean, finances, a lot of us are, our weaknesses are, our kryptonite. So in general, what led you down that path Was your parents background in finance? Like what led you down the finance path? Yeah, this is a question I get all the time. Um, so my, my mom was a, um, was an accountant. So mm. she was, she was into finance. The interesting thing, she, she did accounting when I was a small child and then she started her own business. She actually used to help people who were behind on their mortgage. And she was, had a company, it was called Help Save My Home. And she was helping people who, who literally were losing their homes for, for good reasons, not because they bought more home than they could afford, like what's the issue was when the whole real estate bubble happened, but she was helping people before the real estate bubble happened when people were losing their homes because they lost their jobs or because, um, you know, there's their significant other passed away. And then there was a, a reduction in income and she was helping them to restructure their debt with the company and, you know, be able to stay in their homes. And she did that for a long time. So she was an entrepreneur. My dad was not in the finance portion at all. Um, he was, uh, what did he do? Oh, my dad was a pressman. He actually, I couldn't even remember. My dad was a pressman. Um, he, he, um, he basically did like printing and things like that. So, but outside of that, he was always an entrepreneur dibbling and dabbling in like buying stores and things of that nature. So I definitely had two entrepreneurs in my family and even my stepfather, um, he owned a, um, security alarm company. Um, and he ended up growing it to be, to be fairly large. He doesn't have it anymore, but he, you know, even, Later on in life, with my mom marrying him, being able to see him as being to see him as an entrepreneur and seeing my parents being able to create their own schedules made me realize that I wanted to be an entrepreneur very mm-hmm. early on. Now, the finance piece, I realized 
that I was always extremely infatuated with money. And I told you, even <laughs> as a kid, I was like, I need my own money. I want my own money. I realized that when you have your own money, you can do what you want to do. And so for me, money always equaled freedom. So when I was in high school, I would always read about like these teen entrepreneurs or really wealthy people and how they made their money. And everyone always talked about having like a portfolio and investing in the stock market. And I'm just like, what is it? You know what I mean? Why, why am I not investing in the stock market? Clearly, this is how people make money. And I remember reading just a couple of different articles about how you can make money while you're sleeping and how like the wealthy have multiple streams of income. Mm. They're making money while they're sleeping. And the one thing that I could took from a lot of these different articles that I would read, because like my parents would get black enterprise and things like that. And, I, and one of the things that I, that I felt like I could put into place, like I couldn't go buy a store and have people working in it and, you know, and make money while I sleep. But I realized I could invest in the stock market. So I remember going out and buying like, like investing for dummies and like stock market for dummies and things like that. And I would read those books um, on the weekends, like after school. And I was just really, really infatuated about learning how to use the stock market, understand the stock market. And so that was like all throughout high school that I would sit down with my grandfather. He um, was actually like the chief of IT for the Department of Defense. And so he had a TSP, a thrift savings plan. And he would show me his thrift savings plan. Like these are the investments that I have. And, you know, when he would get, um, things in the mail from like some of his investments, like mutual funds and things like that. And he not, he didn't necessarily have a lot of private investments because, you know, African-Americans is kind of like, we just contribute to retirement and that's yeah. it. So that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's all he would show me. So he didn't have a lot of um, private investments. And actually no one in my family really was investing in the stock market outside of their retirement accounts. And half of them didn't even understand how they worked, except my grandfather, he understood. So he would show me like, hey, Dominique, I picked this fund in my retirement account and this is the prospectus. This is what they send you, you know, to help you understand the mutual fund. And I would sit and read these like 40 page prospectuses trying to understand. At what I was so age eager. were you doing this? I was like 15, Good like gracious. 15 years old. Yeah. So um, anyway, long story short, I would that's basically how it how it got started. And then once, like I said, because no one in my family was really investing in the stock market, they didn't really understand how to guide me at all. And I didn't really have anyone to ask. So when I turned 18, when I was legal enough to open my own you know, investment account, I did so. And I just started playing around. And, you know, people make investing extremely complex. And I was trying to make it complex too. So I was like, okay, I gotta read Entrepreneur Magazine and see like what they're saying to invest in. So I need to try to buy oil stocks or or uh, energy stocks or, you know. And I didn't really understand that stuff. So after a while, I just started buying things that I liked. Mm -hmm. So I would buy McDonald's stock or Disney stock. Mm -hmm. um, and I really just dibbled and dabbled. And I didn't have tons of money, but I would take $50 here, $100 there. Because, you know, I was entering college at the time. And I didn't have tons of money. But I, any money that I had from working and earning, I would try to put it back in the stock market. So I remember um, when I first bought Apple stock, I was in college. I paid i think it was like 50 bucks a share oh my goodness um, what yes yeah it was like yeah i think 50 or 60 bucks a share and i remember when it shot up this is like we all have a big financial mistake the stock shot up to like a hundred dollars a share and i was like oh my gosh like i've earned so much money this is what they're talking about i sold everything no. <laughs> i know <laughs> i sold everything no. and then of course I, I i did buy more like once it went over 100 but then it went up you know, I think it went up to like, what, $500 a share. And then they did a stock split and it went, you know, 
Mm. And the prices went back down. So it's one of those things I still beat myself up about it because I'm like, really, Dominique, why did you sell? So um, but I was excited and I didn't know what to do. If so, if I had if I had someone to ask and say, what should I do? They probably would have told me, you know, sell it. But then again, I was in college and I kind of needed the money, honestly. So it wasn't like it was money yeah, that so- I could afford just to sit. But I made money from it. And, it, and then it just that just really sparked everything for me. Man, that's huge. And the three biggest things that I want our audience to grab for that, that I kind of grab from was the first, you sought knowledge. Like you you sought knowledge. I mean, even yeah. though your people around you, they may not have been able to help you, but you said, okay, like what does this look like or what should I be reading? Because sometimes the people you're around you, they may not be able to help you, but they may be able to direct you into resources and people that can get you on your way. Exactly. And, and that is huge. Like, And then the second part, you had a appetite for what you wanted to do. Like some people out there that want to start businesses, they don't have an appetite for reading books. They don't have an appetite for attending conferences. They don't have an appetite for really learning what they're doing. They're just thinking about it or in their own notebooks and whatnot. But you can't get to the next level if you're not studying those that, that, that are on the, the, the next level. So yeah. I said, whoa, you, at 15, you're reading 40 page stuff and you know finances are dry read. <laughs> oh, they're not. It's not exciting. In the terms and whatnot, like it's, it's crazy. It's a dry read. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is you started with what you had. You mm-hmm. didn't you didn't wait and say, I need ten thousand in the bank to invest. You said, What 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 can I manage right now? And I think later in the later in the show we're gonna talk about specifically for the young professionals and the college students and those that even the old the, the, not I keep saying old people. Are just, uh, <laughs> not gonna say old. I'm not I can't say that anymore, but people that are are saving for retirement and they're like man i don't even have that much right now to manage so i'm not going to do it and you know that's critical that's a fatal flaw but we're going to get into that so definitely start with what you have because like yourself at 16 no at 18 i had uh, i was i was trading stocks and whatnot and i was just playing around with it because i said honestly for me it was kind of simple it was like well if it's if a doc if a stock is 450 i buy 10 shares if it goes up 20 cents then i just did the math and I yeah. was like, I just, I just simplified it that way. And I wish I would have really had that because I liked your approach, the Warren Buffett approach, only investing in stuff you understand and know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but we could talk about that a whole day. So let's get into something interesting on the, 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 the first part as well. Let's talk about the leap, the leap of when mm. you, okay, get into college, corporate America, you managing funds and whatnot. So talk about that experience, but then also walk us through when you left your job, because I know a lot of people here, I mean, I talk to people every single day, and I know you do as well, that mm-hmm. are in corporate America, and they're making good money, but they're just not fulfilled, and um, they want to talk, and I think the leap, that's really critical, so if you could explain to your audience what you did after colleges, um, and then your transition from that into what you do now. Yes. So, um, well, I would say my career really began while I was in college. Um, so I, like I said, I went to Bowie State University, it's historically black college and financial firms do not come there. They don't come there to recruit. Um, and I realized that I really, really wanted to be either on wall street or like in the investing part itself. And the only companies that were coming to our school was, um, like banks and things of that nature. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for what I wanted to do, I know I did not want to work in a bank. And I had worked actually at a local bank for a brief stint, maybe two months. And I was like, Mm-mm, this is not for me. Like managing deposits and withdrawals is not the life that I'm trying to live. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just did not work for me at all. So um, 
anyway, I basically got an internship while I was, I think my junior year of college. I looked online, you know, me, I'm super resourceful. I realized these, the banks and companies that I wanted to work for were not coming to my school. So I needed to figure out a way to get into these banks. And my, I mean, into these investment firms. And like I said, my family, they're not uber wealthy. They don't have a friend that works on Wall Street that they can call and get me in. So I needed to figure out how I was get into these companies. So I looked online and I was trying to find um, an internship program that would accept me. Now, mind you, I was doing mediocre in college. I was not feeling it. I mean, it was okay. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. It just was not for me. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, when I if I tell you guys what my GPA was when I graduated, I don't even know if my parents know. It was like a two point three. No, not the but finance I, expert. Please, yes, please. Not yes, the finance so, expert. But the on, those, those are the only classes that I was doing good in was my <laughs> investing classes and my entrepreneur, my business classes. All that, all that other stuff was a waste of time, like biology and all that stuff for me, just because it didn't, I just, it didn't work for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't care to understand it. Um, so anyway, yeah, my GPA, it was like a 2.3 when I graduated. So I was like, I know I have the worst score ever when I was looking for internship programs. Um, and all of them required like a 3.5. You know, and they were pr- pretty much only taking students from like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, things of that nature. So I went online. I found an internship program that accepted me. And basically it was a summer program. So you had to pay for the summer program. So I was like, all right, I got to convince my family. Like, this is, this is worth it. So I'm basically asking them to help me pay to, pay go, to, work. <laughs> to go work for free in another city. So I talked to my family. I, I convinced everyone. They all kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll help you do this. Right. So they helped me pay for this program. And um, I got like a little bit of a scholarship or whatever. So they helped me pay for the because I was a minority. You know, they always need minority. So they helped me pay for the program. Um, I um, went to New York for the summer. It placed me at an internship at Morgan Stanley. That was my goal internship to be at Morgan Stanley. I was still like, yo, I cannot believe I got an internship at Morgan Stanley. Like I'm going to New York to work at Morgan Stanley. That's crazy. 2.3 GPA. Yes. You found it in internship with Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley. Now this is the kicker, Greg. So uh-huh. I am headed up there. Um, the weekend I'm about to go, I get a really bad car accident. Total my car. Right. Oh. So there was a chance that they were like, I, I was, I was um, fine from the accident, it was so much going on because the the car was told it was like all this stuff. So I kind of had to, it really just threw me off. Literally a couple hours after the car accident, I get a call that Morgan Stanley has cut their internship program for the summer. So I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like this is just bad thing after bad thing. Right. So now they're like, well, if we can't place you in a new internship, you, you may not be able to come. Now, mind you, I'm preparing to go (laughs) to, to New York for the summer. Like I'm literally supposed to leave the next day. So the following day, um, they worked it out where they're like, hey, this company said that they'll interview a couple of you who, you know, was supposed to go to Morgan Stanley. You just have to you have to be on the call like tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. type of thing. I'm like, perfect. Mm-hmm. I get on the call. They like me. UBS Financial Services takes us in. Now I've gone from working at an amazing investment firm. Now I'm working at the top wealth management firm in the world that wow. exclusively deals with high net worth clients. Now I'm just like. I had never even heard of this company because right. they like like they were so big and so unknown to someone who who is not rich that mm. I was like, who is this company? They're like, oh, oh, you went from like a great company to the big league. So from a so car me- accident, you thought <laughs> yeah. everything was over. You almost lost your life. You get a call. Oh yes. man. Oh, by the way, this internship you're really pumped about, you paid for. Oh, it's canceled. And then all of a sudden, boom, a door <laughs> yeah. opens. And then the door at- opens. And so I'm like, so so. Then I started researching, and then I'm like, getting nervous. Like, wow. Okay, Morgan Stanley is a commonly known company. UBS Financial Services is not a commonly known company because it's only commonly known amongst the uber wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. 
So now I'm nervous. So anyway, I go, I start the internship. Internship is great. It's a great experience. But the interesting thing is the person that I'm working with, the financial advisor that I'm working with, my first day there was his first day there. So him and his team, he had a team of like 15 people. He's a huge wealth manager. Most of his clients had 150, $200 million. So I'm basically helping them transition from Morgan Stanley to here, Mm -hmm. to to UBS. So I spend the whole summer transferring millions and millions. I probably transferred over, you know, like $2 billion worth of assets and helped them like kind of get it reinvested throughout the summer. Um, I'm sorry. A hundred hour weeks. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy, and I I worked for free. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a hundred hour weeks, but because I, only because I worked for free, and I was like, y'all ain't about to have a <laughs> slave in here. So it was usually, I mean, usually 50, 60 hour weeks. Um, but I learned so much. And the funny, the funniest thing about being at that internship was that nobody, I was the only person that came from historically black college. First of all, there was not a lot of people that looked like me at all mm-hmm. besides like the receptionist or the doorman <laughs> at the building. Like the no lie. Yeah. And the janitor. No, I don't. Not the janitor. Oh, they were, they were Spanish. Um, oh, yeah. but yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like the doorman at the front door, like literally receptionist, that's it. And then I was talking to other people that were in my internship program and they came from NYU. They came from Yale, Princeton, um, you know, USC, like all these great companies. Um, all these great schools. And I was like, oh, I went to Bowie State. They're like, Boise State? I'm like, no, Bowie State. <laughs> so literally. <laughs> Just like when I go to like AT&T, I'm like, it's AT&T. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. I'm like, wow, no one really knows my school. So I remember showing them the website. They're like, oh, this is like a real school. And they're like, oh, it's like for black people. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> where am I? Anyway, so that was the internship experience. It ended up going great. But by the towards the end, the end of the internship, I wasn't still 100% sure if I wanted to be in the financial service industry because I was just like, I am so not connected with these people. Like, this is managing extreme wealth. I mean, this is extreme wealth. When, you know, when your savings account, let's just call them really big savings accounts, has $100 million, you're just on a whole other level. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That's a whole, I mean, even for your savings account to have $20 million. That's just another level. For your savings account, I have ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Look, everybody else is like, everybody else's goal is ten thousand for the year. It's like, just let me get ten thousand. We just save ten thousand this year. Yeah. So it was really interesting. Anyway, so I come back from the internship. They, I, I thought I wanted to move to New York, and I decided that I didn't want to because when I started looking at apartments, I was like, eh, it's, it's, the cost of living is high. So I come back home. Um, I finish my senior year of school. I'm about to graduate. I you know, email, email them at UBS. Like, Hey, I, I, I want to have a full-time job with you guys. They say, perfect. You can come back to New York. And I said, look, I think I want to stay in the area. So they said, well, we'll call the Bethesda office and see if we can get you there. I go to the Bethesda office. They hire me um, on the spot. They're like, you're awesome. Let's do this. So I get a full-time job. They're still managing wealthy, not as wealthy clients. Well, they're still wealthy, more 50 million, 60 million dollar <laughs> oh. clients. Right. Um, and then at this time before, um, I graduated. I graduated. Everybody else graduates in the spring. I graduated in the fall because I failed an accounting class. Long story. And um, so I actually ended up buying a condo that summer because I had got a full time job offer. So I had income. Bought my my condo. I was 22 years old. I was technically still in school. Um, moved to uh, Bethesda Rockville area um, and l- lived about 10 minutes from my job. But I had to commute back and forth to Bowie to finish this last class, which I barely, barely passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did the whole semester. So anyway, so I worked at that at UBS Financial Services for maybe three, four years. No, probably about three years. The t- stock market tanked. Um, everybody got laid off. I was a part of that that um, reduction in, in, in workforce. 
immediately got another job. Uh, actually, no, I think I was off for like six months. I was out of work for about six months because I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go in the financial services industry mm-hmm. anymore because it was it was such a toxic um, environment, like very uh, cutthroat. And it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I was out of work for about six months, but I was fine because I always kept my expenses extremely low. I had more than enough money saved. So I actually spent that time traveling. Like I went to Guatemala and did an economic economic, uh, development trip and just like was chilling. And I finally got a job offer and um, I took it, went to another large firm, stayed there for a little while, hopped to another firm and I ended up in my mentor's firm. So that was like my dream job for me. I'm at my mentor's firm. Um, black owned firm, awesome company, um, thought this is where I was going to be. You know, he's making a couple million a year. That would have been me making a couple million a year. I was there for about five months and I was like, yo, I can't do this. So this mm. is the leap. <laughs> this and is the builds. leap. <laughs> and it builds. So I'm going to yeah. stop you right there. I'm going to get, mm-hmm. cause the, the leap that's going to transition into the, the present day, kind of what you do and explain mm-hmm. your audience, the present day. And also I got some, some questions, some pointed questions about financial tips because I'd be remiss if I didn't utilize your expertise in a portion of this show. But before we end the first round, I want you to talk about two things. The first being, what was the lowest point of your journey? Get, take us, take us to, I don't want to say it a failure, but take yeah. us, the, bring us, bring us where you're at for the lowest point of this journey thus far. And then the second, yeah, I'm going to answer that question first. Well, Please. I would say my lowest point is actually when I took the leap. Mm. Um, it was, it was, it was then. If you, you know, if you don't mind me going to that part, that was the lowest point. Okay, of so my we're life. gonna get, we're gonna open that in yeah. to the okay. transition because I want to make sure the people don't lose that. So we're gonna get yeah. the transition. But all right, boom. Knowing what you know today, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself five years ago? Um, I think I what I would have told myself five years ago that it's okay to not. It's okay to not have um, done everything as planned. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a failure for not reaching all of the goals that I had set for myself. I had extremely lofty goals, like I was going to be a millionaire by 25. That did not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Same here. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it didn't happen, and I was stressed about it, and I and I felt down on myself about it. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. Like it's going to be okay. You're not going to reach all of your goals, and, it, and it's okay. I think that's the biggest thing. Like it, it really is going to be okay. And mm-hmm. in, in, in the moment, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would tell myself. Like it really is going to be okay. Mm, that's, that's a testament in itself. So yeah. boom, second part of the show. First part, phenomenal. Second part, present day. What do you do? Who, who are you? Who is the finance coach? But also I guess we can lead into it to talking about the lowest point of your journey thus far. Yeah. So before I go into where I am now, just really quickly, the the leap, which was also the lowest point of my life, um, the leap, basically I went to my, you know, went to my mentor and I told him like, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. So he's like, all right, you know, so I'm, I leave, I quit, I'm done. And uh, I spent the summer trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I thought I didn't want to do finance anymore because I was, I was like depressed. Like I was working and I was making really good money. This is also a low point. I was making really great money. I was very financially comfortable. I had an awesome home, awesome car. I was traveling once a month. I had a great life, but I felt very empty. And I mean, it's the point where sometimes I would just like go to work, come home. And like my evenings were turning into like just doing the same thing. I come home, like I may go to happy hour, come home, watch like, it was like, Seinfeld and like <laughs> or, or Friends or I think it was like Friends Seinfeld so it, was, it was like the, the show comforting that would come shows on back to back. yeah like they would come on back to back and I would like watch them every evening I was just like this cannot be life this is and now now I guess I'm just supposed to wait and find a husband 
get married, have kids. And then I was like, this is just not what I thought life was going to be. So I quit. And when I quit, that's really the lowest point of my life ever. Um, the first year was okay because I quit. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to, um, open a cupcake shop. This was around the time of Georgetown cupcake opened their shop. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I realized I like to eat cupcakes, but not bake cupcakes. That, <laughs> the that finance killed. coach making yeah. cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that killed quick. I was like, I definitely prefer to eat them than bake them. And then I realized that my other passion that I've always had was real estate. So I went to Baltimore and went to like the hoods of the hoods of the hoods of Baltimore and put down contracts on a few properties. These houses were six, $7,000, nothing expensive, nothing expensive. The goal was for me to buy the homes um, renovate them, you know, take the equity out, renovate them and section eight them. That was the goal. And for some reason, every single contract fell through mm-hmm. on these, con- on these things. I'm like, what is going on with life? Like, this is supposed to be my new business. This is what I'm going to do. So that fell. And I'm just like, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I need to get a job or something like, you know, things get a little tough. Mm-hmm. So I, um, ended up, uh, starting my company and I said, you know what? I think I want to do finance, but I want to do it my way. So basically I got a, a booth at this event called for sisters only. Mm. And I paid a thousand dollars for this booth, which was still crazy. I would never pay a thousand dollars for a booth. I paid a thousand dollars to have a booth for this expo. And I ended up literally the night, like within the two days before that, um, starting my company, I got a one page landing site. Um, it was just dominiguawi.com. It accepted emails. I had one of my friends do it. I was calling my friends like, look, I don't got tons of money, but can you make me a one page landing site mm-hmm. and some business cards? I'll pay you back somehow. I'll take you to dinner or something. He was like, all right. <laughs> he, he made me a banner. My best friend came down from New Jersey. She helped me work the booth. And, and that was how, literally how my business started. And I wish I could even like show you guys the picture of that. That was like, wow, I never realized that was the beginning of my career, of mm-hmm. my future, where I am now. And it was great. But like I said, I had no preparation. I had maybe three days of preparation before that. So I didn't have any prices. I didn't have any business structures in place or anything. I had about 95 people that signed up um, to at my booth that day. I ended mm-hmm. up making about a third of them clients. So that's how I started my email list. And that's how I started getting clients. But the issue was I didn't have any pricing set. I didn't have anything set. So it was kind of like, oh, what do you need help with? All right, here. All right. <laughs> yeah, give me a hundred bucks. I'll do it. I mean, literally, this is how I'm running business. I'm just like, going to no eat, eat. Whatever you can yeah. do, I got you. I got you. Yeah, whatever you got, I'll help you with. And I was like literally um, changing people's financial lives. But I was ruining my own finances. And this was the lowest part of my life where I was just like, God, why would you bring me here? to put me to a point where I might lose everything. And I was like winning awards and I was helping everybody, but I was so focused on trying to run the business that I wasn't, fo- I didn't do a good job of putting the structures in place, realizing what, what pricing needs to look like, what pricing needs to look like versus my time. So I was working extremely hard and not making enough money. And so to the point where I was not making enough money to cover all of my monthly bills, and all of my expenses. So I ended up draining my entire savings account. I'm talking everything, retirement funds, every single account I had gone. And you were cha- you were helping people, getting awards, changing yes. lives. And it's and like, I it doesn't had, make sense. It didn't it's- make sense. And then I felt like a hypocrite because I was like, I'm in financial ruins right now, but I just helped three people buy a house. <laughs> I just helped four people over here climb out of credit card debt. I just helped this person reduce their student loan. And then this person, now they have 800 credit score and my credit score is going down. Theirs going up, mine's going down. Literally, this is what was going on. And I had to stop. And one day it hit me and my house had entered into foreclosure. And I got behind my car payments and I was just like, what am I going to do? So I finally called my mom. I was like, mom, I got to tell you something. Things ain't as great as they look. And we had a really long conversation. She sat down with me 
and became my financial advisor, my financial coach. And then I went and talked to my grandfather about it and he helped me even more. And literally I needed someone to help me call my mortgage provider and say, this is the issue. Cause I was ducking their calls. I didn't know what to do. I've always paid my mortgage on time. Mm-hmm. I was like, what am I going to do? They're not going to believe me. They're just going to like come and like, take the keys away. That's what you think that that's not even how it works. Mm-hmm. But, um, you think they're going to just come take the keys away. And he sat down with me and he helped me, my mom and, and me finally asking for help. Mm-hmm. And all they, all days, I was so scared of asking for help and them and disappointing them. That was like one of my biggest, I went to therapy for this. Like that was one of my biggest fears was disappointing my family and them being disappointed in me. And what we forget a lot of times when we we're scared to talk to our friends and families about our problems, they love us unconditionally. They're not going to be disappointed in us. Mm-hmm. And only thing they said was, I wish you had told me earlier. We've mm-hmm. all been through things like this. We can help you. You know what I'm saying? And they helped me and I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose my car. I didn't lose the house. I didn't lose anything because I asked for help. And then everything turned around. I took my business more seriously. I created better structures. I was able to finally, you know, generate enough income to get help, to hire an assistant, which helped grow more. And things turned around. And that was the lowest point of my life where I was angry with God. Because I'm like, I knew. It's so interesting when you know you're on God's path. Like, you know, this is what God wants you to do. I know this is what God wants me to do. I could I could have never thought of this, ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he wanted me to do this, but then he left me. That's how I felt. Like, why would you leave me? This is ridiculous. Like, why, why am I helping everybody, but I'm losing my house? Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. And I've always had tons of money has never been an issue for me as long as I've been working mm-hmm. because I've always kept my expenses low. I, I'm, people always say, you always look so great. You have great clothes. I may look extravagant, but I'm probably getting it from Target. Mm-hmm. That's just how I roll. I don't like to facts. waste my money. Yeah, <laughs> it's just facts. So anyway, so that's where it is. And now I have this awesome uh, financial planning, personal finance coaching company that offers like financial capability solutions to nonprofits, corporations. Um, I do tons of public speaking at colleges that I could have never gotten accepted into. I'm actually going in a couple of weeks to speak at Wharton, like Wharton. Like That's what? Crazy. Yes. The I mean, <laughs> I know it's just like so crazy. And it's just like, why am I speaking at these schools that have, would have never accepted me? And it's such a blessing. And now I offer, you know, I'm working one-on-one with millennials and helping them to understand their finances, helping them create financial plans. You know, one of the biggest things I ask people, you know, how did you hear about me and why do you want to work with me? I like to know, like, why do you want to work with me? Because I want to make sure we can work together as far as my one-on-one clients go. A lot of times they say, I tried to call this company, I tried to call that company and they um, wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me or they didn't even call me back because I didn't have $100,000 or I didn't have $250,000. And that's why I started my company to help those people who don't have tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of dollars yet, but Mm. they need the financial guidance so that they can get there one day. You know Mm. what I'm saying? So that's basically what I'm doing now. And it's, it's, it's still not easy. Being an entrepreneur is, is tough. And, you know, I think, you know, you have those entrepreneurial sweats at night, you know, you still stress, even when you're doing financially well, you're still nervous. You have to stay relevant. You have to have consistent content. And it was interesting. I was at an event recently and I got a chance to speak to, to the ladies that own Georgetown Cupcake. You know, they're huge now. They're all across the country. And I asked her, I said, you know, I said, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and, um, you know, things are doing much better for me. I said, they were really hard in the beginning. And I said, but now they're better. And I said, I said, but I, I still kind of worry about my business. I still sometimes have sleepless nights. 
And I was asking her because they're so successful. I said, does this change? You know, they have a multi-million dollar business. And she said, no, it doesn't. She said, no matter where you get in your business, because your business is your child, you're still going to stress about it. She said, you're going to sleep a little bit better, but you're still going to have, you know, those sleepless nights every now and then. And I sleep pretty well, though. But she said, you're always, she said, you know, you're still going to have those sleepless nights every now and then. You're still going to be stressed. And I was like, man, in every single, like super, and I consider like super successful, I guess we're talking revenue, you know, having multi-million dollar companies and having hundreds of employees. Most CEOs have told me the same thing. So, you know, they always say you have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur, but you do, you really do. But anyway, that's where I am now. And Mm -hmm. that was the lowest point and the leap. And uh, it's been a very interesting journey. Yeah, man, that's uh, I know there's a we can go a thousand different ways with that, but we'll we'll save that for a <laughs> webinar or something, something, something somewhere else in another medium. But that's I would take away some points, but I think those points you shared were powerful enough. That story, even because um, there's so many similarities, even within my life, man, I had to catch myself. I was like, golly, man, why, why, why am I feeling like that? But that's that's a testament in itself. So um, we're gonna go to this. What is a typical day like for you? Because I mean, you, you're speaking, you're, you're coaching, you're an entrepreneur. Because mm-hmm. I always try to ask entrepreneurs, like, what is a day like? This? So walk us through real, real briefly what a yeah. typical, a no typical, you know, there's no such thing as a typical day. But if mm-hmm. there was a such thing, what would it look like for you? Yeah, every every day is different, but I would say a typical a typical day for me, an average day, um, is I usually I get up, I try to I get up, I pray, <laughs> I pray, I usually look at my bank accounts first thing I do in the morning. After that, I'm usually have a try to get following up on emails. I try not to let emails control my day. Um, following up on emails, client calls, so it may be new client calls, maybe current client calls. Um, I may be having calls with someone who wants me to do a speaking engagement. Um, I may go into the office. I don't meet with clients that often, but I may be going into the office actually meeting with some of my one-on-one clients. Then usually in the evenings, I may be hosting a webinar. I may be um, hosting an event somewhere, speaking somewhere. Not a week. Usually not a week goes by where I'm not speaking somewhere, even via webinar online or something of that nature. So every day is, is totally different, but, you know, usually within the week, there's, you know, tons of emails, one-on-one meetings, um, also meetings with my project manager, with my interns, with my graphic design team. Um, yeah, every week is, is totally different, but that's what I like about it. And then if, and then if I decide, Hey, I want to take off next Friday, Saturday and Sunday, cause I want to fly to, to, to Mexico. I can do that. Mm. Um, and that's, that's, that's my favorite thing about being able to work from no, wherever I am. And sometimes like I'm addicted to, uh, flights. Uh, that's one of my big budget busters. And I love just buying super cheap flights and just hopping and just leaving like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to Vegas tomorrow. Like what? (laughs) You know, last year I did that. I went to Vegas. I went to Vegas for seven days. I got my tickets for $30 round trip. I was like, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) So yo, you know, you got me as a content. If you ever see something like that, you got to sit. What? You got to sit there. I need to like start a website or something. No, I got tickets for thirty dollars round trip. I ended up staying at the uh, Planet Hollywood. Ended up getting a, whole, a room for like fifty bucks a night. I ended up staying for seven days and just worked from Vegas for an entire week. Like that's oh, that's the fun I'm... part. But that's not even balling. Like that's actually really inexpensive. You know what I'm saying? And then when I'm there, you know, you get breakfast is real cheap. And then for dinner, I usually go to happy hours. So everything's five six bucks. Like I'm just really frugal, but I feel like you could still have a great time. So. um, yeah. So those those things happen throughout the week, but I'm not always necessarily in the DC area. Sometimes I'm just everywhere. So I feel it. I feel it. And I'm about to uh one quick question briefly, because mm-hmm. I don't think I ask it um enough, especially for the entrepreneurs I have on the show. Can you share with the audience a few reasons why they should not 
become an entrepreneur because I think that's the point. We always talk about like entrepreneurs for some reason it became a buzzword for freedom and all this other stuff. But please, I know that from their story they can kind of see reasons. But if you could please speak to real briefly, yeah, why people shouldn't become entrepreneurs because it's I think it needs to be addressed. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. I think it's one of those things people are scared to to talk about, but. There's a lot of reasons not to become an entrepreneur. Um, I would say being an entrepreneur is not for everyone, to keep this brief. Being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. If you do not have the ability to be persistent in reaching for your goal, you're not going to be a successful entrepreneur. If you are not a good salesperson, you're not going to be a good entrepreneur because what people don't realize, people look down upon people in sales, but people who sell really make the world go around. Every mm-hmm. single corporation, no matter what the corporation is, if you sell Oreos, there's a sales, there's a person that's managing these contracts to sell Oreos to grocery stores. There's a salesperson as everything. If you're not ready to sell, you're not going to succeed as an entrepreneur. I actually had to tell a client the other day, yesterday, that she needed to make her entrepreneurial business her part-time job. And she felt like she was failing by doing it, but I felt like based on where she is right now, she's a single mom with two kids, okay? Mm-hmm. And because she's a single mom with two kids, her business is not consistent. The income isn't consistent. It, she gets behind on bills at time because she's trying to do this business. And she says she actually got an offer for a full-time job. And I told her that right now, in this time in her life, she should not be an entrepreneur because she's not putting, it's great to go after your dreams, but she's has two people that depend on her and you're, you're affecting them in a way. Right. Mm. So I told her that she needs to go and just set a goal of a year, set a savings goal and say, Hey, I'm gonna go work for a year. If I can save X amount of dollars and do, she was doing real estate, do real estate part time. And if I can get my real estate income to at least equal X amount of dollars, and then I will go back full time. It's not for everyone. You lose a lot of um, stability when you're an entrepreneur. You know, I'm so happy that I have my stability back financially because it was a long time I didn't. And, you know, you lose that stability. A lot of times you're, you're going to be a little bit behind or retirement, all these different types of things. So you have to be weary of that. So it's not for everyone, but you, you know, it's. It's difficult. It's really difficult. It's really not for everyone. Yeah, that's that. that that's say no more of that. That's real. That's real. <laughs> so real quick before we go to uh, the mm-hmm. third round, I do. And you can take this. This is the niche right now. I got three questions. And the okay. question is the first one. This is the applicable advice. What advice would you give to a college student with limited money, just about money and saving in general? Mm, with limited money, I would say just... Um, If you have limited money, I would say try to make as much money as you can while you're in school. When I was in school, I think a lot of times people get really lazy a little bit when they're in college. I understand college is hard. And it's like you, this is the only time in life where you're going to have pretty minimal bills, but you can probably save a lot of what you're bringing in. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did when I was in college, I worked, I actually did marketing promotion for Starbucks and I did a really good job. I got promoted and ended up managing like 15 people. And because I was able to manage this project, they gave me the ability to work from my dorm. So I was managing these 15 people 
from my dorm. So a lot of the hours that I were clocking, I was clocking them from my dorm. So looking for those different types of opportunities that, you know, give you the ability to maybe work from work from your dorm or from home. Um, but I would say just try to make as much money as you can while you're in school and get into the habit of saving while you're in college. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like ten, twenty dollars, because what people don't realize, they, they think that it's like, oh, I'm a broke college student. A lot of times it's a mindset because you can make more money. You can make money while you're in college and your expenses are low. So I would say if you can get into that habit while you're in school, it will really help you once you get out. And the other thing I would say is be realistic while you're in school about how much money you're going to make when you get out. Because I speak at colleges all the time. And when I show people what their salary is going to be when they graduate, they're like, what? They're not going to give me $100,000? Like, no, sir. No one cares if you have a degree. <laughs> Get in line. Everyone has a degree. You know, and I think just starting to realize what life is going to look like for you financially now is, is also really important. But I would say, if, even if you have to start saving $10 a week, whatever, just save something. Get in that habit now of tracking your spending. Mm, yep, yep. Be faithful over few. Be faithful mm-hmm. over few. And real quick on that soapbox moment for your, for your college students out there. Um like, especially the point you monetize when you're in college, because I see a lot of cool cats in college, thousands of followers on Instagram. They're popping on social media, but they don't have no products. They're not, no, they're not, they're not like, and it doesn't say you have to always be selling something, but if you're going to have this brand, do something with it. Like, don't yeah. just be cool for the sake of being cool. Like, yeah. okay, be cool with a purpose. Tell other people how to be cool. Like, if you so cool, you make all this money or you're, you're doing all this on campus, teach others how to do what you do. In some mm. way, so get creative. Like I, I loved when you said when you were young, you said, "Okay, I'm looking at others online, the teen entrepreneurs that were changing the culture, doing all this other stuff." I mm-hmm. looked at models. I mm-hmm. looked at the blue, mm-hmm. the benchmarks. Yeah, and we got a lot of college students. They're not looking at. They're looking at the wrong benchmarks. They're yes. looking at, okay, I want to copy somebody, the uh, uh, hairstyle I see on social media. Oh, I want to get the blonde thing because I see Chris Brown do it. Or I see everybody else do it. Or they're wearing tight pants. So I want to wear tight pants now. <laughs> it's like, whoa, but why why not go look at the, the, the teen of the college entrepreneurs that are killing it? Yes. Why not? And there's I don't so them? many there's of so them. There's so many. So there's no excuses. So, so I'm telling you, I'm going to get off the soapbox. But if you're in college listening right now, please, please, please. Let, let, let's let's not have this mentality that I'm in college and now I just got to call my parents when I need money or just live off refund checks. That's not the deal. The second advice, what would you give? This is for, for young adults that just got in, that, that are two or three years in their career making good money, but mm-hmm. they're just not saving or they're looking to save more or just can start controlling their finances. Mm. Um, I, w- I would say, honestly, tracking your spending is really important. And I, I think... People always ask me, like, you know, how do you how do you get rich? Everyone wants to know how to get rich. And I learned this very easy, very young, I would say, um, from millionaires. And the secret to getting rich is spending less than what you bring in. And it's yeah. one of those things when I tell people, they're like disappointed. Like I was, I was like, gonna yeah, tell them like some <laughs> like like some hot, you know, stock. I'll pay you $150 an hour to yeah. give me this. <laughs> I know, right? And it's like, yeah, people are like, what? So um, and that's honestly, that's it. And it's such a simple thing, but it's something that a lot of people just cannot get together. You know, we meet people all the time who are 60 years old and they have no money saved. Clearly, they've always been spending more than what they brought in. So one of my biggest things for me, you know, even when I was you know, working, being able to save 1500 sometimes $2,000 a month because I kept my expenses extremely low. And I would say tracking your spending is really important. It's one of those things. Nobody wants to do it. But if you don't know where your money's going, you need to tell your money what to do. Mm-hmm. And most people feel like they're not in control of their money because their money, their paycheck comes in and all the bills go out. And they're like, I don't have any control. Like, control your money. 
control it like it is your child. Control it like it's anything else that you want to control. You need to tell every dollar where to go. You need to know where your money's going. Why are you letting your money run run rapid? Like, why are you doing that? Like, you need to look. And, like, my favorite tool I talk about all the time is Mint.com. I have all my clients. Man, I hate Mint. Mint. I put that in the spam, man. It just was and pissing I, me off. <laughs> I love Mint. And that's another thing. People hate Mint because it tells you about yourself. It like, does. <laughs> and that's the thing. People are like, oh, my gosh, Dominique, I got on Mint and I hated it. It said I spent $400 eating out. Well, it didn't lie. It was telling you the truth. And that's why you deleted the app because you didn't like it. It told you about yourself. And I think that that's seriously the key. I mean, when you track your spending, um, I woke up yesterday morning, I got an alert because I have a thousand alerts that come to my phone about my money. Somebody tried to use my credit card in Omaha. Mm. Right. So, you know, it was an alert from Capital One and I'm on it. Right. Instead of a lot of other people who look at their their statements when they come once a month, if they even look at them like, oh, my gosh, someone did something in my account three months ago. Like, no, you have to be aware. So being extremely aware with your with your finances. I use mint. That's my favorite tool. A lot of times just taking, you know, 10, 20 minutes to set it up and looking at your bank accounts every day. I always tell people, if you looked at your bank accounts as much as you looked at your Instagram or your social media accounts, we may start actually building some wealth. Um, and that's really the key. So, yeah. And I know, like I said, we can, this, this is real meaty right here. And I know there's a lot more tools, but I love how we just hitting the major points where everybody can start. The third question, mm-hmm. the people, the entrepreneurs out there, because as an entrepreneur myself, even though I have a full-time job, I find it hard to balance between saving and investing in myself. So, mm. because I think of things like fitness, I, I do have a personal trainer. Cause I mean, the look goes into why people as sadly esteemed to want to be like you and it helps with the brand and image. So I, that's, I consider that an investment. I don't work out for fun to be real. Yeah. And then like there's conferences, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's always conferences, seminars, mm-hmm. um, equipment to upgrade, but how do you balance investing in yourself, but also saving and, and building, building a strong foundation because I fell into a, a big pit because I was putting, I was in my head. I was like, I know I'm going to blow up financially soon. So <laughs> I'm going to put all the, all my resources into this. I'm talking about I'm putting every single dollar into new equipment, conferences, seminars. But I was like, man, as I get older, I'm like, yo, I'm not addressing my savings at all. And I yeah. said, I don't care what's going to happen because like you said, if you don't start saving now, when you get $10 million, it's easy to blow $10 million. You know that. Oh, yeah. So you be a millionaire. It's like, okay, cool. But if you still don't have the habit of saving, then you're going to lose it as fast as you had. So please be, speak to us real clearly on for, for some tips that entrepreneurs can have with money. Yeah. You know, for as an entrepreneur, you still have to, um, you know, so, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have your, well, let's say even like in your situation, which is a lot of people's situation, you work a full-time job, but you're still an entrepreneur, right? So you have your personal budget, right? Your personal budget mm-hmm. for your personal finances, your, your rent, your mortgage, your car note you know, eating, blah, blah, blah. And then your business has a budget. Most people don't create a budget for their business. Mm. And I think, I know I was reviewing my, my business budget yesterday. I I hired a couple new people this month. So that's going to actually adjust my budget. Um, in addition to the fact that I have a lot of things, I told you I'm I'm launching a podcast soon. So I spent money on podcasting equipment. I need to get, I'm, I'm doing a photo shoot Monday. So that's, that's, um, money I have to spend there. I'm, possibly think about hiring a stylist for that, clothing for that, makeup for that. That's money that I've already budgeted for the month. I already know what my marketing, I call it like my marketing slash um, growth fund. I call it like the, the fund that I use, the account that I have just for like when I'm ready to grow my business. So these are all activities that are going to help grow my business, the podcast and equipment, hiring staff, um, photo shoot. Um, uh, I'm, I have a new book coming. 
coming out. So I just hired a, a, you know, paid the freelancer to, to create all the graphics and things of that nature. So you need to create a budget. And I knew February was going to be an expensive month for me that was going to have additional um, expenses because of this. So I think that, you know, you have to find that balance. So even if it's like, hey, I'm going to set aside $500 a month so that, you know, for, for three months so that by March I'm going to launch this pro- project and I'll have $1,500 to spend to, to execute these things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs don't take the time to budget for their, for their, for their business. I mean, most people ain't budgeting for their personal finances, so you know, they ain't budgeting for their business. So, um, just really taking the time to do that and having a budget every month for your your marketing or growth related expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you start hiring people, you really know how to budget because you got to pay these people. Like this, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? You got people you have to pay. So I think that you should make sure you're having a personal budget in addition to a business budget and having, you know, growth, you know, conferences, things like that. I'm really fortunate that a lot of the conferences that I, um, that I actually want to attend, a lot of times I'm really fortunate to be asked to speak there. Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of times, you know, my conference budget is, is pretty small because I get to, they usually will cover the travel, the hotel, and they may even pay me to speak. And then obviously I give free tickets to the conference. Mm-hmm. But there's a few conferences that I've actually identified um, this year that I want to go to that I want to go and just be an attendee because mm-hmm. sometimes you just want to go somewhere and just be an attendee. Like you don't want to have to yeah, be talking student. and speaking. Yeah. yeah. Like, geez, it's, it's rare. So I have a budget for that. It's a conference. I'm going to one of them is in, um, in Detroit. Right. So I was like, all right, this is in June. So I know that I'm going to be coming from another conference. So I need, I need to see what the budget is. I'm going to be flying from Orlando to Detroit to get to this conference. Right. So I have to set my budget for that month. So just really looking at your calendar in advance and seeing what projects you're executing and what it costs to make it happen. Mm, that's there. And quick, quick soapbox for me, mm-hmm. 30 seconds for all you entrepreneurs out there, please earmark money in your budget for marketing. Like, don't just think you alone off your strength on Instagram, social media, whatever can really advocate for your services like look really please this is my opinion look into facebook marketing facebook marketing is is there's there's no better platform for return yeah. on investment in facebook marketing getting clicks whatever look in other mediums to promote your project outside of just hitting social media with it because that stuff like that is, i mean of course if you have content good content already out there can really take it to the next level so please look inside your marketing budget this last question in this piece before we go to our last round is for all our parents that are listening or people that are 10, 20 years in their career, could you give some advice of some principles they could be teaching to their younger children as well as some advice if, say, if I'm a little older, but my, 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 my savings is not where I wanted to be, how to kind of train, retrain my mind for bad money habits? Yeah. So I would say the first thing um, for kids, one of the biggest things that my mom did for me, like I said, my mom wasn't doing tons of investing, but she was has always been extremely financially savvy, extremely financially savvy, probably because she was an accountant. And my mom did not go to college. I mean, I think she went to community college for like six months or something, but um, she's always been extremely financially savvy. And the one thing that I realized that my mom was doing with me that nobody else was doing with their kids um, was talking to me about money. She would have me sit down with her when she was writing out her, like back in the day where you actually had to write checks and stuff. She would sit down with me. Like she'd be like, come on, Dominique, we're doing bills for the month. And I would sit down and organize like, all right, here, mom, here's the cable bill. And she'd write the check out. And she would show me how she was balancing her checkbook. And I did this with her every month to the point where even my great grandmother, when she was, you know, when she got older and sick, I would go to her house every month and sit down and write the checks for her. And so I was always very a part of it. And my mom had those financial conversations with me, have financial conversations with your children, like 
don't act like money is something that we don't talk about. You need to talk about it. Like that's one of the main reasons I started my business and I had originally launched like the social money tool and my social money events is because I, the whole purpose was per, to provoke the conversation of money. I'm like, if we could just get people talking about it, like it's not, I mean, people will talk, sex used to be taboo. It's not anymore, right? Yeah. Money, hopefully one day won't be taboo, but it when is. When will money come out the closet? I don't know. I'm hoping this year. I'm yeah, trying to make it happen. need to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make it happen. But I just honestly, just having those conversations with your kids and you don't have to be like, oh no, we're broken. We, we can't pay our bills. Don't stress the kids out. But at least have those <laughs> basic, you know, don't, don't think, don't make the kids think all their toys about to get repossessed. But make sure that the kids understand that, look, mom and dad or whoever go out, we actually make money. This money comes in. We use this money to feed you. And then we pay to keep the lights on so you can play your playstation whatever kids play like help them understand because they think that life is just free and it's not um anyway so that's me and my soapbox about that but as far as if you're older and you're you feel like you're behind you haven't saved enough for some people they'd be like oh my gosh i haven't saved enough so i'm just what's the point of starting now now is always the perfect time whatever now o'clock is that's the perfect time don't wait any longer um now is, is the best time ever and start saving now, shifting those money habits, start looking at your money. Like I said, conversation and actually looking at your finances is the biggest way to change your financial situation and determine what goal that you're trying to reach and create a real action plan to reach that goal. So if you know that you're, Hey, you know, I haven't been saving nothing. I'm 55 years old. I ain't never saved nothing this year. I'm gonna start trying to save. How much do you want to save? Pick a number. You know, if it's, if it's, um, I don't know, $6,000. Okay. We're going to save $500 a month. I'm going to save $250 every paycheck, or I'm going to save, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, $250 every paycheck. And then when I get my tax refund, I'm gonna take at least 50% of that and save it. And I'm gonna put it into an account that I can't access, like create a strategy, but just start now. Like that's the key. And then there's other ways that you can save more, even with, um, you know, if you're over, um, you know, 50, you know, retirement plans ha- give you the ability to catch up. They allow you to contribute an extra, uh, extra thousand or whatever to the various different accounts. So they give you the ability to save more, but people don't take advantage of it. If you're not saving the minimum, then how are you going to be able to save uh, more anyway? But, you know, just start now. Just make sure you're starting. Don't delay any longer. Amen. 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 So that was a phenomenal round. Um, my last round was culture change, but I do have a, a few quick, uh, another few quick questions about the future. Cause I would be remiss every, every person I have in this podcast, we just want to share kind of what you're excited about for the future. So in 2016, for the rest of 2016 and maybe even beyond, what are you excited about? Mm, um, I guess in my business yeah, your or business. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm excited about a lot of things. Um, no, I would say, um, uh, in my business, I'm really, really excited about the growth that's been happening. Um, all these different people I've been able to hire. And, um, I think I'm going to be actually be, you know, bringing on more financial planners and coaches, which is great and trying to create, um, a signature, you know, finances and mystified coaching program where we can actually train other people to do what I do. That's one big thing I'm excited about. I told you about the podcast I'm launching, which is going to be called Finances Demystified with Dominique Broadway. Where we're actually going to be interviewing um, celebrities and influencers and just even regular everyday people about their experiences with money and the money lessons that they learn. So we can just start provoking that conversation. And then the last thing I'm probably most excited about is um, I'm delving into the financial technology space and um, creating um, a, more of a budgeting and but more of an investing app that will um, provoke people to 
start investing for smaller amounts. And that's one of the biggest things and one of the most stressful things I'm probably trying to work on right now. Um, but those are some of the things that I have coming up. So it, it should be a great year. I mean, it's already, it's, you know, it's, it's already off to a good start. It's going fast, but <laughs> you know, those are some things that are, um, in the, in the pipeline for me. Mm, I'm excited. Yeah. Oh man, you got me pumped. You got me pumped. <laughs> uh, before we get into the coach change round, another question. And I always ask, um, to these people and it's, I don't, I hate to go get so morbid, but when, 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 when your time is, when your, when your time is done on here on this earth, how would mm-hmm. you like to be remembered? That's a good question. I, I feel like um, I'm the only other person. I'm the only person that ever talks about like death and legacy and how important that is. Um, I actually think about that a lot because I'm I'm preparing financially. If I die tomorrow, my family would be very happy because I have a lot of life insurance. They would be good. Um, but, <laughs> That's a good way. But outside of yeah, outside of, you know, people being, you know, wealthy once I die, um, I would say I really just want people to remember me as someone who was trying to change, um, change the economic status of people of color, like legit. And I don't work with just people of color, but that is a big focus of me. I hope that they can say, wow, she really spent her life trying to change, um, the, the conversation around money and helping to create better lives for people of color economically. Like that's really what I hope people remember me for. And I hopefully long-term I will have an impact where we can change the financial conversation that, that surrounds poverty, um, generational poverty and the fact that, you know, African-American, the wealth gap, you know, closing the wealth gap is, is something that I really hope that God has placed me on this earth to help do because I really hate just this, the difference that I see, because I, I, I see both sides of it. And it's so, I mean, the gap is, they talk about the wealth gap it is not even a gap. It is like a Berlin wall. Like it is huge. I mean, the, the, the have and the have nots, you know, and, and trying to decrease, de- increase or decrease the amount of have nots. So I do hope that that's, I really hope that that's what I'm here for and what people will know me for. And hopefully I can have a positive impact and help to start creating generational wealth amongst people of color. Boom. That's all I got to say with that. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So our last round, our most exciting round, the culture change, rapid question, rapid answer round. Are you ready to go? (laughs) I am. All right, cool. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Don't fear failure, fear regret. Boom. Who do you look up to? And, and sidebar, I have, I've never asked this question, but I like to hear, especially from entrepreneurs that have accomplished a lot. And a lot of times, I just, I'm, I'm always curious of like, who do they, who inspires you? Like, who, do, who do you look up to? Because uh, when you get to a certain level, you're like, you're, you're getting invited to different places, mm-hmm. and you're making, you're making pretty good income, and you're, you're looked at as an influencer. But who, who right now in your industry, or not even outside of your industry, is keeping you pumped and motivated? Um, I would have to say. Mm, two people. One, Melody Hobson, just because she is one of the like largest like African American wealth management firms. Um, she's huge. She also married George Lucas, so that helps. She's a billionaire. Oh my god! Um, and then <laughs> Star Wars George Lucas. Yes. He had yeah. a black wife. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen her in my side. No, I've never seen no Go- pictures Go- of her. Google her. Her name's Melody Hobson. And the funny thing is not a lot of people know her. She used to be really big, like in the finance space, but now she kind of got married and stuff like that. And she, she still has a huge wealth management firm. They manage billions and billions of dollars. And the funny thing is anytime I go somewhere and people that know her, they're like, has anyone ever told you you like Melody Hobson? And I'm like, yeah, she's a mentor in my head. So I was on a panel recently and 
this lady comes to me and she, uh, she's like, she's like, do you, do you know, Melly Hobson? I'm like, yeah. I was like, I don't know her, but I know her. She's like, you really need to meet her. She's one of my best friends. Let me introduce you to her via email. So hopefully we'll have a conversation very soon. Um, but anyway, so Melly Hobson, the other person, actually, I have to say one of my really good friends, Jewel Burks, she's the founder of Park Pick. Um, and she probably doesn't even know this, but I look up to her oh, more I think, uh, than I think, anyone. Uh, she was on Forbes, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. She's on Forbes and she's one of, one of my really great friends. And I just remember a couple years ago, we were all in her house, me and one of my other friends, and we were like crying and trying to quit our businesses. This was like maybe two and a half years ago. Cause entrepreneurs, we try to quit our businesses all the time. And we all were like, we're going to quit our business. We're all going to go work at Google. Cause she works at Google. And, um, obviously we didn't, but I always, <laughs> I always look back and I always when she wins these awards and I always text her. I'm like, what if, what if what if we had quit that night? You know, what if what if we had quit? You you wouldn't have raised two point five million dollars. Like you know, all these different things. So th- those are actually two people that I look up to most. Mm, that's a great, 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 great. Uh, ah, yeah. another question. Um, what is the what is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success? Mm. I have a lot of bad personal habits. I yeah, this, <laughs> I this, this is the good. You already shared the bad. Oh my God. There's so many bad ones. I would have to say some of my bad ones are actually some of my good ones. I would have to say, um, well, me just being persistent and being crazy enough to think I can do this. I, I think, I think that that that's a good habit of mine. I'm, I'm very optimistic and I am very, I am a true entrepreneur where I do before I plan a lot of times. And I think that that's a, I thought, I thought it was a bad trait, but I'm realizing it's a good trait. Um, and I, I think that has a lot to do with where I am now. I, I don't worry about having everything perfectly aligned. I just go. Yeah. Just go. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite book and why? Um, I would have to say one of my favorite books is um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. It's a book I read um I guess when it first came out, I guess what, 10 years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's still to this day, one of my, one of my favorite books, um, by Robert Kiyosaki. There's another book that I've read recently, which I, and I don't like, I mean, I like a good self-help book, but I don't like those fluffy books, but it was, it was called like, you're a badass or something like that. And, um, <laughs> it, the book was so good. I can't even remember the name of it, but if you Google like you're a badass self-help book, the book was so like the whole book was like, wow, it just reminds you a lot of times you get so caught up in comparing yourselves to other people. Man, I, I wish I had done this or they did this. I didn't do this. But it kind of just says, oh, Dominique, you're a badass. Like, stop. Don't like, why are you thinking that you're not like you can do this? You know, so I think that that's another good book for me that I, I pick up pretty frequently just to remind myself how awesome I am. Mm, remind yourself. Nobody <laughs> built like you. Nobody you else <laughs> yourself, Jay-Z. I love that. Love it. Love it. What inspires you and keeps you motivated um i would have to say outside of like my family and stuff um my clients man my clients and people that i meet like well my clients call me and tell me dominique i'm going to a settlement next week on my house and and knowing that a year ago this person had tons of credit card debt and was living paycheck to paycheck um or you know when i'm done at a speaking engagement and someone comes up to me and and like your story touched me you know, sometimes when you want to quit, it's, it's plenty of days, even now, I'm like, man, I should just, I mean, I get recruited on, I get recruiting calls from major firms all the time. Like, come do this, come work with us. And sometimes it's just like, man, it's so hard to be an entrepreneur. You're constantly having to create. And I'm like, it'd be so easy not to have to worry about no employees. Yeah, I can still get a re- job. You're always rebranding. Like whenever your yeah. website gets good, then it's like, oh, we off that now. It's just yeah. like, we on mobile it, You're now. always... <laughs> Yeah. And that's in addition to just trying to regular manage everyday clients, things like that. But when people come up to you and say that, you know, 
you're the, you're the person I've been looking for. I haven't been able to find anyone who can relate with me. You know, hearing your story has motivated me to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, wow, this motivates me every day. And you almost, you don't need to hear that every day. It's not like you need someone to come stroke your ego, but you know, a lot of times you can forget your why when you, when you're running the day-to-day activities of your business, you get so caught up in paying your employees and, and doing this and doing that. And you forget about your why. And then you go to an event and you speak and there's a line, there's a people lined up at the end to tell you, thank you for coming and thank you for motivating me and thank you for reminding me. And it's like, oh, this is why I started this. So that those are the things that keep me going. I mean, it sounds really corny, but no, it, it really is. It really is. It really yeah. is. You get to that point. It's like, well, because I mean, imagine like 10 years ago, this is what you dreamed of doing or even yeah. like just even the impact, maybe not specifically what you're doing, but you, the, just having that impact. But when you get there. You may, may get off stage the first thing you might be like, man, I messed up on this or I could have done better this. And you got people like, oh, thank you, whatever. And you're engaged with them, but you're thinking about the next one or this. And it's like, wow, yeah. like yeah. be grateful for that moment. Like, yeah. Wow. And that's, and that's, and that's the biggest thing, like stopping and enjoying the moment. And it's so as an entrepreneur, you, you forget to do that. Like, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here now on a Saturday morning getting interviewed by you about how you apparently you think I'm cool. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, but I'm so behind on this. I'm so behind on that. And like, and you need to stop like, nah, this is cool. This is dope. Like, you know, I'm going to so-and-so in a couple of weeks to speak at this school. Like that's going to be dope. Like, you know, and you just have to stop and enjoy because if you don't, this can be an ugly, boring, horrible journey, <laughs> you know, so really a lonely and a lonely journey too. So, um, but yeah. Mm. If you were the president of the United States, this is the last question this round. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing you would do? <laughs> this is well, you know, I, honestly, the first thing I would do is make um, I would make financial literacy a requirement in all schools and life skills in general in all schools a requirement. That's literally the first thing that I would do. Yeah, no, first thing I would do. Our last question. That was a great rapid fire answer um, round. Our last question, I call myself the culture change agent in this whole mm-hmm. show, and I interview change agents because we're all changing the culture in our own lane. So this question is really pivotal specifically for the African-American um, community. So mm-hmm. if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? Mm, I would say... This, this is, yeah, this is interesting. I would say I, I would love if, if I could change anything, I, I would, I would like if everyone had the same starting point in life. Mm-hmm. I think I wish everyone had the same advantages or the same opportunities. I wish it really was like an equal, equal opportunity nation where I don't know, we just, everyone just had the same starting point. So it was no excuses. Cause there's some people who are born and they're born at, a, at a, starting out at a deficit, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I really wish, I mean, maybe that's a conversation I need to have with God, but <laughs> I really wish that everyone, <laughs> everyone, especially people of color, just, we all started out in the same place. We all had, you know, similar story, you know, so similar beginning stories or similar um, opportunities allowed to us. And I feel like within the African-American community, there's a majority of us are starting out at a deficit. You know, they're starting out in a single parent household. They're, already, they're starting out um, already uh, in, a, in a bad socioeconomic situation. Um, and I, I wish that could change, you know, and I, I don't I don't know how or I mean, obviously, if I did, I, I don't know. But I don't know. I just I just wish there were more opportunities for people. And I wish that a lot of African-Americans 
Americans that could see and were exposed to the fact that they can do better. They can do more. It just, um, yeah. So, and I think you're doing a perfect job of it now. I mean, that's why we have podcasts. We don't get the podcast to stand on a soapbox and, and speak about ourselves. We, we, we yeah. want this podcast to speak life and to start connecting different influences of, of color and start leveraging, leveraging each other and our resources to leverage the community. So I think right now our, our, our culture and especially our generation right now, the millennials are doing, a, in my opinion, an amazing job growing their personal brands and growing enterprises and doing great things. Mm-hmm. And I think we're slowly shifting to how can we work together in stuff that makes sense. That doesn't mean we're all joining the same businesses and all this other stuff, but in stuff that makes sense mm-hmm. to have a greater impact on the community and the culture as a whole. Because, I mean, I, I, there's never going to be a starting point but what we can do is provide opportunities to financial literacy provide opportunities to life skills provide opportunities to entrepreneurship entrepreneurship yeah. provide opportunities to so that we can level the playing field so i think we're yeah. doing an amazing job you yourself and everybody that's had on this Thank podcast you. is doing an amazing job of starting that push to create the field because at the end of the day you know just like in finances you can create as many budgets and many programs all this have for your clients mm-hmm. but if they do not take the responsibility then they're gonna be broke, but yeah, yeah, man, this has been uh, man, this has been a, a powerful, powerful, powerful episode. I'm just, I'm excited to, to get a chance to, to talk with you, to share this community, and to, to finally really connect and get a whole 360 of what you're what you're doing. So, for our audience, for Minority Trailblazer Nation, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and also to please, and how can our audience get in contact with you? Like, where can we find you at? If we want to get coached or we want you to book you for a speaking engagement. We just want to just get some free tips. We don't, we don't want all that paid stuff. We just want to get a webinar. Like, what can we find more about you online? Yeah. So you can um, go to my website, DominiqueBroadway.com. Um, if you can't spell it, just I'm pretty Googleable. Um, but yeah, just go to DonnieRobert.com. That's my website. It's tons of free resources on there where we're going to be doing a lot more free online trainings um, uh, every month, which is going to be pretty cool. Follow me on Instagram. I post like a lot of financial stuff. Um, my Instagram is Dominique Broadway. And then on Twitter, it's um, Miss Finance Coach, MS Finance Coach. And then it's the same thing on, on Facebook as well. So yeah, that's where you can find me. We like I do a lot of free online things. Um, in-person workshops and just trying to make finance fun. You know, that's the whole goal. Once again, I would like to thank each and every person that has tuned in and listened all the way through to the Minority Trailblazer podcast, man. It has been a pleasure. It has been a journey. Thank you so much for your time. And make sure you leave a review. You share it with a friend. And you already know how we do. You know how we do. You know how we do. I just do one thing, one thing, and one thing only. What is that, G Hill? Change the freaking culture and go to a seminar too if you're in atlanta if you're in new york you in dc they have in the seminar make sure you get your ticket today peace